0: Welcome aboard the Expatability Chat podcast, helping expat parents navigate moving and living overseas with their families, with Carol Hallett-Mobs, expat life mentor and consultant, and founder of expatchild.com. I'm Carol, your resident expat expert, and I'm here to help you live the expat life you dream about and deserve. If you're planning a move abroad, or if you're already living your expat life, or even if you're planning a move back home, you've come to the right place. In this podcast, I'll offer you experienced insight, sensible advice and practical information, along with some sugar-free, no-bullshit tips and tricks to help you on your way, so that you and your children can live your expat experience to the full. There are so many layers to this expat life that you need to know about, but often you don't know what you need to know, and that's what I aim to help you with. Because knowledge is power, and I want you to have the best expat experience you possibly can. So let's get straight into today's episode. Okay, and in this particular episode of Expatability Chat, I am thrilled to be talking to the wonderful Ros Osborne, who is the CEO and founder of Global Arc. You may well have seen me talking about Global Arc, and they provide a most incredible service in the most difficult of situations. Now, first of all, I want to read out what I found on the website. It says the Global Arc mission is to prevent international custody disputes and reduce their devastating impact on children and parents stuck in a foreign country by raising awareness and connecting parents to support services to meet their needs. Global ARC is the only charity specialising in helping stuck parents. Now, I think the key point that I really want to get out, and I know that we share the same mission of preventing this issue, is what is a stuck parent?
1: So first of all, hello, Carol, and thank you very much for having me on on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. We've been in, in touch sort of loosely for many years. So it's a real pleasure to actually see you on on Zoom and have a have a chat today. So what is a stuck parent? So we kind of made up this this term because it just didn't exist before. And there was no real way of describing the situation that lots of expat and migrant parents find themselves in. So basically, what it is in sort of uh, layman's terms, it's somebody who's a parent who's moved abroad. They might have moved abroad for work or to, to, to travel, live in a foreign country. They've had children or they've taken children with them. And then what's happened is the relationship has broken down and one parent needs to go back home to their home country. Usually it's the mum who wants to go back home. And what's happened is the other parent would like to stay. And so they don't give permission for the child to then leave that country and go back to their home country. So the mum usually then realises, oh dear, I can't go home. She checks the laws. Yes, that's correct. Um, the law states that the child is what they call habitually resident in that new country. And unless she goes through the family courts in that new country, she can't go home back to her home, home country with her, her child. So that is at that point, the parent becomes what we call stuck. They can't leave. They can't go home with a child. But it's also very difficult to stay for lots of different reasons, usually. So they're almost stuck between a rock and a hard
0: place. Yeah. And the stories I've heard are usually coercive control or domestic abuse issues. And I know you've heard a hell of a lot more stories, horror stories than I have. So it's all down to this um, idea of habitual residence. A lot of people do not understand it, and i spoken to a lawyer about this for a previous podcast, and it's really, really hard to define, but I managed to narrow it down to your expectation when you move to that country. If you aren't going and you've set them up in a school or a nursery or a kindergarten and you've bought a house and you've sold your house at home, you were planning to stay there and in some countries that happens the moment you step off the plane other countries it can be weeks or months and it is the most complex law
1: well in actual fact there's been lots of case law and lots of basically in the higher courts they tend to argue about habitual residence and the actual what it means case by case and it's actually these days, it's nothing to do with the intentions of the, the parents necessarily. It's more about where the child is, is normally living and different countries interpret this in different ways. So like you say if you move to Australia or New Zealand, your child would become habitually resident more or less as soon as they step off the plane, because that those countries believe that the child would just be resident, you know, at that point. Obviously, if you're going on holiday, that wouldn't apply. But if So I suppose the intention must be there to, to live there. So in that sense, there is an intention um, aspect to that. In Europe, The general rule of thumb is that the child must have been living in that other country for around about three months.
0: Not long, is it really?
1: Not long at all. And and in the US, the general rule of thumb is six months. The problem with it is that parents have no idea that this this law or rule even exists at all. So they may move abroad for a a, a contract, perhaps a, a 12 month contract thinking that they can just go back home after that, those 12 months are up. But unfortunately, unless both parents give consent for the child to return back to country A, let's call it, then the actual habitual residence law would say, well, no, that child is now habitually resident after X amount of months living in the new country. So you'd have to go through the family call in that country. And so this has happened So many times we're always getting emails from from parents who said, you know, for example, we moved to Singapore with, you know, Dyson or one of those big companies, financial companies. We had a a contract for a year. We've split up. Dad wants to stay. I need to go home back to the UK with my children. Is that okay? Can I do that? And really the answer from the lawyers on that is no, you, you can't. Unless the other parent gives consent for the children to go back to leave Singapore to the UK, you can't do that legally. And what can happen to parents that do is that the other parent can charge you with international parental child abduction. And we see this time and time again, especially in relationships that have had an abusive element the other parent is very, very likely to use the Hague Convention in order to retain, try to retain control over their ex-partner.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's that's, another, I mean, that's the ones I've heard. The,
1: yeah. yeah, exactly. So they're almost using it as a form of coercive control through the courts, which is really sad because that's a misuse of the convention. But unfortunately, the convention hasn't really cottoned on to this yet. And there isn't widespread awareness that the convention is being misused by abusive ex-partners. We'll come on a little bit later, I think, to yes. what yeah, we're we'll about. will talk more about
0: the convention in a moment. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a horrendous situation. And people do change when they've moved abroad. The stories that I've heard, and especially with intercultural relationships, marriages... The whole coercive control is very difficult, but in some countries as well, the non-working person, for example, if they've gone over on a working contract, the support parent. Let's let's be um, generic. Claiming
1: spouse, claiming spouse, spouse,
0: which we're not apparently is not the said word these days. Oh, sorry, I. I know I use it all the time. So <laughs> fine, <laughs> but you may not be allowed to have a visa yes. to stay in that country. So you are literally kicked out of the country, but you cannot take your children with you. The
1: immigration Department often doesn't speak to the family law department. So you may well have the family law people say you your child needs to stay in this country because they're habitually resident here. But then you might also be getting letters from the immigration authorities saying you're not entitled to stay here any longer. And of course, as a primary carer or a sole carer, in some cases, you can't leave your child behind because you've got responsibility to look after your child, obviously. Exactly. And in those situations where you might have an abusive parent. You might also be protecting your child, that abusive parent, and that child may not be able to see or, you know, have contact with the other parent because they have been abusive. We've seen that a lot, you know, even parents in prison.
0: So they're obviously, they can't care for their child. Using the control. Yes. Just purely for vindictive reasons. I mean, I did not know about this law at all before I moved overseas. Admittedly, I didn't do a huge amount of research before I first went because I was too busy. I was running a publishing company. And it wasn't until later on, after I started Expat Child, that I discovered you and found out more about this. And like you, I am trying to get the message out there before people move overseas and to know that this is an issue. So I think we both use the know before you go phrase. Yeah. Is there anything that a family can do to protect this issue before they go? Well, they need
1: to have that slightly difficult discussion about what would happen if, put a whole load of scenarios on the table, what would happen if one of us doesn't like the new country? What would happen if our child got sick and needed specialist medical care? What would happen if one of us had an affair even? I know these things are really difficult to talk about, but it's so important to have those sorts of discussions. And then if you feel able to visit a family lawyer and actually get those written down because then you would have a record of the discussion and the agreements that you've come to about plan B, what would happen if it goes wrong, basically. You could potentially use that in court if you needed to, but hopefully just having that discussion would almost avoid the need to go to court or have any of these um, disagreements. And you could just say, you know, remember that discussion we had and we've got it written down, you know, so we agreed that this would happen if that happened. And And so I think it just avoids so many problems down the line. So it wouldn't be watertight in court, unfortunately, because circumstances change. And that's what the other parent may argue. They might say, well, when we came to this agreement, the situation was this. And now it's all different. So it it no longer applies. But I think it would assist your case enormously if you'd come to that agreement. And of course, if you have that discussion with the other parent and it comes to light that they actually wouldn't agree to you ever moving back, even if things went wrong, then you might want to just reassess whether you do choose to
0: move abroad with your (laughs) Exactly. And the other thing is, if you are too scared to have that conversation, should you really be moving overseas with them in the first place? Yes. It's a little bit like a prenup, I think I've explained to somebody recently. Prenups are not such a huge thing in this country, but they are becoming so. And people don't want to think of something bad happening. I've written an awful lot about the negative side of expat life, because everyone's so keen on telling everybody how wonderful it is with sipping martinis by the pool every day, getting a manicure each afternoon. But expat life is not like that. And I've got quite a lot of grief over the years for writing about the reality of expat life. People have this dream and they do not want their dream balloon punctured by reality, which is why I think it is so difficult to get this conversation out there, the no before you go conversation.
1: I mean, we tried to go to migration fairs and have a stall, but we've been turned away saying it might put people off
0: moving abroad. Oh the money.
1: Yeah, so it's really great. I th- I think it's great that you're um raising this awareness and you should get a lot of thanks for it because these sorts of situations absolutely devastate lives, family, uh, children's lives. Yeah. It's separated from their mums a lot of the time after a Hague convention
0: case it hurts my heart, it really does. And relationships are a tricky game anyway. But if you can't have that initial conversation, yeah, it would query your relationship.
1: It's got to send some red flags, hasn't it? If you yeah. can't have an honest conversation between two grown-ups, exactly. you don't have that trust there.
0: You shouldn't be moving overseas. Maybe just don't. <laughs> yeah. And so many people think that life will change and be better. I think I shared something recently. The grass isn't always greener because the grass may be fake. So let's get that message out there before you go. But if you don't get this message before you go and you find yourself stuck, how can you at Global Arc help somebody? Right. So we do
1: what we can to help any family living anywhere in the world. We're a very small charity, but we do everything we can. We pull out all the stops. So what we've got on our website is a contact form. Anyone can fill it in. And then we will arrange a phone call with that parent to see what they need and how we can help. And then following on from that, we will send out information relevant to their needs and contacts in the country where they're stuck. So that might be charitable organizations that can help that we've worked. Often we've worked with them before. We've got a big long list of organizations and also lawyers that there are specialist lawyers in that area. So all of the lawyers we work with offer a a free consultation. So even if parents don't have money, they can still get a free consultation from an expert uh, lawyer, which is brilliant. We have peer support groups available. So parents can join an online chat group and meet other parents in the same situation as them. And then we just offer the follow up support. Uh, We have befriending. So we have volunteers that will call parents once a week for six weeks um, and give them a befriending call, which really helps them feel less alone.
0: Yes, because the feeling of isolation, nobody understanding the situation because everybody says, oh, just take the kids and go home. No, no, you can be charged with kidnap and yes, a very bad thing. (laughs) Uh, All we can do is our best, but my goodness, what you offer is, well, life-saving, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, lots of parents have said it's sort of saved them their life because they've been sort of suicidal, really depressed and anxious. And and so I think Mm. the peer support and also the the helpline is just really, really helpful for people.
0: Yeah. I'm going to put all the links into the show notes and I'm going to also transcribe this to an article to go on to Expat Child with all of the links to Global Arc Um, and let's just hope that we can get the information out there. You offer... Um I was nosing around your website, and I noticed that you offer a draft contract uh, before you go um,
1: well, we used to, but we've taken that off the website now oh, shame. because we were advised by various solicitors that it was better for people to get individual contracts made
0: up rather yeah, than that, that makes sense, and we
1: didn't want to kind of we didn't want to mislead people and think that they could just download a contract and that would be watertight because it's never going to be watertight anyway because as I said you know circumstances change etc so we've got on the website steps that people can take I think they can you know to sort of guide them through the process but we haven't actually got the the document up there anymore.
0: That makes perfect sense it I mean, I've had people come to me asking for draft contracts and I I obviously can't touch anything legal and I've sent them to your site and hopefully they find the help that they need. Our mission is very similar. Know before you go.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> it's a it's a really tricky topic as well, to be fair, that you've taken on here. So.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, as soon as I found out about Global Arc and the whole situation and seeing fellow expats around me having issues with their partners and hearing the stories of what goes on behind closed doors, absolutely horrifying. Because um, it can, it
1: can continue. People can feel, when I say people, I, I mean mums, really. <laughs> mums can feel very trapped. Yeah in abusive relationships because they're told you can't go home you can't leave if you try to leave I'm going to take your children away from you it's really really sad they stay and they're very very vulnerable and because they can't see a way out whereas when you're in your home country you have that you you have that knowledge I suppose of the culture don't you and and kind
0: of the systems and you can read the language for a start you know you can say something to your GP for example You know how to get help, don't you, when you're in
1: your home country, and you've also got your kind of network of family and friends that are kind of like a rock that sort of keeps you on the straight and narrow when things go a bit wrong. Whereas abroad, it's quite easy to get cut off, I think, from all of your social networks and the people that you've known for a long time. You might have lots of new friends, but they're also caught up in the, oh, isn't this wonderful living abroad sometimes? And if you say, well, actually, I'm not happy here and I want to go back to my home country. The reaction can be quite negative from those people that are quite happily living as expats there. why, Why would you want to go back to Blighty?
0: Oh, exactly. And when you get back home, why did you move back? Well, the contract ended. We had to. Or, oh, you must be so happy to be back home, as if I was forced to move overseas in the first place. It was very strange. But uh, a couple of friends of mine I know have been in very, very difficult situations. One I know had to stay in a very abusive relationship until the contract came to an end and they moved back to the UK. How she physically survived, I do not know. And I also helped another friend leave the country. That we were in at the time obviously I'm being incredibly vague to go back to her home country with her children everything was fine he wasn't he didn't care so luckily he didn't pull in the um, um, Hague convention so yeah uh, it's touched me luckily I've not been in that situation but unfortunately I know many people who have
1: yeah and do you think quick question before we move mm. on do you think that companies need to be aware of this when they're sending families abroad Yes,
0: absolutely. Gosh, that's a good point.
1: Because, uh, I mean, I think they need to be aware of the law and have sort of strategies in place somehow to, to protect people. Maybe a prenup type thing before they move abroad, To say, about the what ifs, like we've discussed. Maybe to get someone like Global Ark in to do some training or some awareness. We could go in together. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I was thinking, you know, because places like Singapore are so popular, you know, what with Dyson moving over there. I, th- I do feel
0: that there's a real gap, that companies need to be doing their, their bit, really. Very much so. The companies should know. Let's talk about that later on.
1: <laughs> Not
0: I, have, I have light bulbs going off in my head now. <laughs> Other very difficult countries would be the Middle East. I Absolutely,
1: think. Dubai. I mean, we've had some really terrible um, s- stories from from mums in Dubai who they've been treated horrifically by the the family courts there because, of course, they have a completely different system. Exactly. Unfortunately, women's rights are not at the top of their their agenda there. (laughs) I don't think they
0: exist at all.
1: No, exactly. So those mums can be, I mean, it's very difficult for them to apply for relocation, which, of course, is the legal route that people need to take if they want to take their children home, is to make an application to the family court um, called relocation, or it can sometimes be called leave to remove. So making that application in some countries, for example, Dubai, can be really difficult because men just have the ultimate power (laughs) over everything. Regardless Um, of their nationality. Yes. They're in that country, you know, so they have to abide by that country's law. Mm -hmm. And so we had one mum that had to come back to Britain without her baby. And she's had to leave her baby in Dubai um, in the most horrific of circumstances. She was put on the non-flight lists. She couldn't literally get out of the country with her baby, even though they're a British family. So she's obviously going through absolute heartbreak now, having to live here without her her baby. But she had no choice. She had nowhere to live. She had no money. She couldn't stay in Dubai. And
0: yet there was no option to bring her child back home to the UK. It's just heartbreaking and mind blowing, isn't it? And we need to get this sorted. And I'm saying we because I'm fully behind you with this. And you've led the way for years. And I'm basically following in your footsteps, (laughs) trying to get that information out there now it all boils back down to what we call the Hague Convention, but I know it's got a heck of a longer name than that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so if you put into Google Hague Convention on International Child Abduction, and it's 1980 and Mm. 1996, but people normally talk about the 1980, which is when it was first introduced, really at a time when people didn't move abroad very much at all. There was not really expats as there are now. That's true. Completely different global climate. And it was introduced really to stop fathers taking their children abroad after a negative custody decision, which is what was happening quite a lot at the time. So fathers would take their children to Morocco or somewhere like that just to get away from the English court system, for example. But the problem is these days it's not affecting those situations at all. So who it's affecting is primary carer mothers who are essentially fleeing domestic violence a lot of the time and returning to their home country with their children to try to get to a place of safety. So over 75% of Hague Convention cases involve a primary carer mother going home with her children. Nobody knows that, not something that is in the public domain, but that is an actual uh, figure that the Hague Convention has on their website, if you dig around. And to be honest, it's probably higher than that in reality. That figure was from 2017. So we've just done a freedom of information request to get an updated figure. So I will let you know if they ever get back to me on that.
0: Fascinating.
1: <laughs> I suspect it will be more like in the 85 percent, 90 percent of cases. Yeah,
0: that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, I obviously have heard of a couple of men, but it is going to generally be the mother, the trailing space, the person who's given up their career to be a stay-at-home parent because the job is usually by the guy. You know, you can argue, as talking to my listeners here, you can argue as much as you like about uh, gender equality, but it does not count in real life sometimes. So you've got a petition coming up, I understand. Can you? Yeah. So by
1: the I guess by the time this podcast is out in July sometime, the petition will be up and running, and hopefully we'll have some signatures on it by then. But basically, we're working with other frontline charities around the world who are also supporting these what they call Hague Mums in trying to raise awareness that this is an issue that now affects. Primary care mothers going back to their home country after um, suffering abuse, and we're trying to raise awareness um, because there is a big meeting happening in October of all of the signatories to the Convention. So it's really important that they know that the Convention is being misused, and really important that they set up better systems to protect families in this situation because at the moment there are many problems with the way that they're treating families. For example, the taking parent, which is usually the mum, isn't eligible for legal aid, whereas the other parent, the, what they call left-behind parent, which is what, who they think of as the wronged parent but in actual fact may not be, is entitled to automatic legal aid. So what's happening is in the courts, the mums can be unrepresented and the fathers get the best lawyers and um, so the mums are not able to then present their case effectively. It's a difficult case to win anyway because they do not accept domestic abuse against the mum as being a cause to not return the child. So there's massive safeguarding issues there. Because obviously, if you're returning a child to a perpetrator of abuse, that child is likely to be at risk of harm. The courts need to understand that these perpetrators are misusing the law and to put into place safeguarding protection for those families
0: affected. It's horrifying. I don't have enough words in my brain to say how scary that concept is. And yet, somehow, I'm not surprised. I suppose I've been around too long to be surprised by very much these days. I will be putting a link to that petition everywhere I can. And let's just try and get this working for yeah. the stuck parents and most importantly for the children.
1: Absolutely. In October, they meet, they only meet every five or six years.
0: Oh, we've got to get it done.
1: So this is our chance to have a say, to tell them the system's not working, it's broken, it's broken. Please fix it before it affects any more
0: children. Yeah, please move into the 21st century and save the kids. Now, the last bit I personally want to say is something I said earlier as well. If you are thinking that moving overseas is going to save a dodgy relationship, if you are too nervous to have that initial conversation, which personally I've talked about before, if you're too nervous to have that conversation, consider why. Because moving overseas is not going to fix any problems. You're not running away from, I don't know, too much rain is the common common reason. You're not running away to make your life better. You could be just taking all your troubles with you and then amplifying them if you split up and just horrible things. So please just know before you go. And if you've got any questions, you know how to get in touch with me. Is there anything, Roz, that you would like to add to get the news out there, get people knowing about this?
1: Yeah. So just you can you can email us at Global Arc. Our email address is info at, at globalarc.org. Just ask us any question. We can give you a ring or we can um, email you back with the answers and just yeah absolutely what carol said basically <laughs> what carol said know before you go is the best thing if you do run into problems abroad we can hopefully sort of help you and we do have really good connections with those experts that you you may need so do reach out don't be scared um, everything is confidential And if anybody would like to give us a donation, we would very gratefully receive any donations. We run on a very tight budget. It's difficult to get funding for this work, basically because nobody knows about the issue. So if you feel minded to give us a donation, go to the website and there's various ways to do that and be so grateful.
0: I'll put all of the links I can possibly think of into the notes for this podcast. And as I say, I'll turn this into an article so it will reach even more people that way. If you are stuck, just know that because of Ros, you are not alone. You have got help out there and please reach out. And thank you once again, Ros, for your wonderful explanation of some very, very difficult topics.
1: Well, thanks, thanks very much for inviting us on to, to, to talk and we're really grateful for your support and hopefully we'll be in touch over the coming months to change the, yes. the systems around the convention.
0: We're going to make this happen, that's yes. for sure. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. As ever, thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope you found this episode useful and interesting. If you found this podcast helpful, I'd be really grateful if you could subscribe, share and give me a review. It really does help other people who may need to know about this stuff to find it and I really, really do appreciate it. In the show notes that accompany this episode, you'll find information about my websites, about my downloads. I've got lists, I've got ebooks, I've got masterclasses, all sorts and these will help you with every step of your expatting journey. You'll also find details about how you can work with me one-to-one if you wish, so that you can get personal advice tailored for your life and your move abroad, because everybody's different. And of course, you can find me on your favourite social media. I've got a presence on most of them. Tag me, message me, tell your friends about me, and I look forward to learning more about you and your move overseas. Please do get in touch. Please check out expatchild.com for more free information and resources. Don't forget to join me next time for another episode. Until then, goodbye.